From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast devoted to the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry. For us, when we get a part, you know, let's say it's an IV manufacturer's spine cage or if it's a prosthetic or something like that, um, it's important to understand that backstory. You know, what is what is the indication? How is it going to be used? You know, is there anything else out there with the market? Why are you designing it this way? You know, why are you testing this? Why are you looking at this? You know, if we just get something and said, go run us a tensile test, like we can do that and provide results. We do that all the time. But to really sort of leverage the value that Element can bring, you know, we I had the privilege of seeing everyone's technology come across my desk and be able to say, look, this is working, this isn't working. It's more of a kind of a trusted R&D partner. That was Maciej Jakuki. Maciej is the medical device testing manager for Element Materials. Element is one of the world's leaders in material qualification and product testing. He joins the show today to talk about the ways that Element and their customers are approaching validation of 3D printing processes, especially in the medical space. Before we get started, head over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, you can listen to the show anywhere you download your podcast, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Stitcher. All right, Maciej, welcome to the show. For those of us in the audience or kind of listeners who are, are kind of getting familiar with Element and kind of the company, do you want to just want to start with a, a bit of an intro about kind of both the company and kind of what you do for Element? Yeah, sure. So first of all, thanks for having me. I'm excited to, to be here on the show and hopefully I can uh, share some share some information and tell you a bit about what we're doing in the additive space. So Element is a global testing inspection and certification company. Um, so we, we do a lot of work within five core sectors, um, aerospace, transportation, and industrials, life sciences, which is the group that I'm a part of, connected t- technologies and fire and building products. And essentially, as a sort of third-party uh, trusted partner, we provide testing services for all those different industries. So that can range um, you know, from uh, basic materials testing, uh, tensils, chemistries, metallography, to full-blown-out product qualification testing. We're actually evaluating the final finished products, whether they're cast or forged or whether they're you know, injection molded or what, you know, whatever the type of product is across those five types of sectors. So... Um, you know, some of the, some of the things that we do that are unique, um, we have, uh, we'll do bird strike testing for, we've got a large cannon down in our Florida facility that will, uh, you know, launch birds into sort of simulate, uh, you know, uh, a cockpit or a, a kind of an engine failure. Are those like frozen chickens or turkeys? So you, you can't, you can't use frozen because if you use frozen, it's going to be like a <laughs> missile, right? It's just going to go straight through it. So everything is, uh, is thawed out. Um, but you know, there's lots of different sizes and that's something that, uh, that's kind of a unique, unique capability we have down there. I actually haven't seen it in person, but I'd love to be able to go down there and, and see it. Um, you know, we'll do a lot of, um, you know, pharmaceutical and drug development support. Um, our connected technologies group does a lot of work with, you know, cell phones and wireless devices, all the things that we're using on sort of a day-to-day basis. You know, we have uh, flame throwing robots for flammability testing. Um, and so what I like to tell people is if it can be broken, kind of like Mythbusters back, back in the, you know, that's, that's something that, that we can do. And then ultimately our, our product is our test reports. And what we do is we can certify or provide evidence that, you know, this is the data for this particular test. And then that gets submitted for 
the different regulatory bodies. So it might go to FAA, it might go to the EPA, um, it might go to the FDA within the medical space. So, um, you know, what, what else can I talk about element? So some of the, some of the work that I guess I'm involved with specifically, um, so we created a new life sciences division to sort of carve out that, that piece of our business. And um, I'm involved in testing the medical device side of it. So I have a background in biomedical engineering, um, primarily in orthopedics and cardiovascular. And so we'll take things like knee replacements, hip replacements, spinal hardware, where a lot of the additive work is being done. And we will evaluate them um, either against predicate devices or against published literature and try to understand, can they withstand the, the physiological forces? Um, and then kind of beyond that, um, we also touch on um, like implantable diagnostic and therapeutic projects. So we'll do on something like a pulse oximeter, for example, or a uh, ventilator or a uh, defibrillator, something like that. And we'll evaluate to the whole sort of electrical product safety. So IEC 60601, um, wireless coexistence, electromagnetic compliance, interference, and that type of work. So pretty comprehensive testing product offering across all the uh, all the different um, industries industries that we're in. One of one of the things that's maybe relevant, kind of, we'll talk about. Um, one of our recent acquisitions actually has sort of live COVID strains that we're doing a lot of antimicrobial sort of virucidal disinfectant testing. Imagine, you know, you, you go to a restaurant, you go anywhere, they're spraying stuff down, right? The, the cleaning products aisle in your local grocery store is just blowing up because everyone's buying hand sanitizer and, you know, sprays or whatever it is. But a lot of that type of work is coming through per uh, EPA regulations. And that's, we've got a biosafety level three lab um, up in our Minneapolis facility. So again, pretty diverse set of testing offering uh, across the board. Um, my role there specifically, um, my title is medical device uh, testing manager, which is really a very generic title, um, but I'm kind of a cross, like a hybrid role between a technical director as well as strategic business development. So I support a commercial team. Um, you know, my, my job really is to talk to our customers and try to understand how do we take this comprehensive offering? How does it apply to our customers and sort of a one-stop shop mentality. So because we can do so much of the testing as a part of that product lifecycle development, um, you know, I think there's a lot of potential for us to be able to, to partner with our customers. And as we've carved off, carved off this new life sciences group, uh, it, it's really doing well. And we've had a lot of positive conversations. In fact, I was on a, um, a call earlier today about multiple sort of new capabilities that our customers didn't know that we had. Hopefully that results in some new work for us, but also just sort of uh, the, the element approach to life sciences in this industry. So that's a bit about element, a little bit about what uh, what, what I do there. Right on. And so when you we kind of get into 3D printing and additive manufacturing, it's kind of an ecosystem where the stand, some of the standards are established. I mean, you can do tensile. I mean, that's like that's an established test and ASTM and ISO. I mean, people know how to do that. But a lot of this, the challenges in additive manufacturing, at least from what I observed, is like people's understanding of how do we set up the design of experiments. Like, like anyone could get a number, right? Like I make you a bar, like you guys will tell me what that strength is like or something like that. But it's really like what's the comprehensive story around yeah. of what does that mean? And so how much of that do you play in kind of your current role working with some of these emerging technologies like 3d printing and medical and prosthetics where like the testing is, um, it's not 
ambiguous is probably the wrong word, but it's like you need context around what you're testing both for both parties, right? The Mm -hmm. certifier and you probably as an element is testing it, right? Like having some idea of like, what is this is, is likely helpful to explain some results. Yeah. It's, it's tough. That's probably maybe the the toughest part that we have because, you know, you companies are all different. They're all trying to do different things. They have different cultures. They have different ideas of how they're going about it. Some know what they're doing. Some don't know what they're doing. Some think that they know what they're doing. Right. And, and inevitably, you know, for, for us, when we get a part, you know, let's say it's an out of manufacturer's spine cage or if it was a prosthetic or something like that, um, it's important to understand that backstory. You know, what is, what is the indication? How is it going to be used? You know, is there anything else out there with the market? Why are you designing it this way? You know, why are you testing this? Why are you looking at this? You know, if we just get something and said, go run us a tensile test, like we can do that and provide results. We do that all the time. But to really sort of leverage the value the element can bring, you know, we I had the privilege of seeing everyone's technology come across my desk and be able to say, look, this is working, this isn't working. It's more of a kind of a trusted R&D partner. Um, but but it's a challenge because if we don't have that background, we're just providing test results. And so sort of the flip side of that is, you know, I, I think there's I think there's a challenge in the industry overall of just knowing knowing what to do, right? And so some of the things that we'll do is try to guide our customers along and say, look, this is first of all, let's take a look at what standards are out there. And it's always a surprise to me because the, the question that I get is, well, what, what's the bare minimum that I need to do to test it? And, and really to me, that, that's the wrong question. Um, the, the question is, is what risks do I have? And you know, how do I mitigate those risks as opposed to just sort of meeting the bare minimum? Because when you ask that question, that there isn't necessarily a bare minimum, you have to define that yourself. Um, you know, and so we, we see, uh, in some cases, customers will do, you know, exhaustive qualifications, um, around their additive products. And typically they get better data, better results. And, but if you're kind of doing the bare minimum, that becomes, becomes difficult. But back to my original point, I think that I'm surprised by how many people don't even realize what exists from a standards perspective. So whether it's technical guidance documents, whether it is, uh, you know, participation in F42 ASTM or the out of manufacturing center of excellence. Uh, it's something that I'm always recommending. And I feel like I keep saying the same thing over and over and over again, but, you know, day to day, I'm surprised, you know, I got questions saying, Hey, you know, tell me about, um, tell me about uh, orientation of parts in my build plate and how do I decide, you know, what's worst case or how do I decide how to do that? So, like, well, have you read, the guidance have you looked at the specs did you realize that there's specs in progress that are specific around orientation now they're not going to give you exact information for your particular configuration but between you know in general if you're asking these questions around validation if you're asking these questions around process control you know how many parts to test where do i test them what shape and geometries do i test um, i've never seen this before and i guess maybe from a materials perspective there's a lot of resources available to um, to at least get yourself educated at a minimum, go pay the $75 and get the emails delivered to your inbox, right. About the things that are ongoing, the different committees. And then if, if the standards don't, um, help, then you really start taking a look at the literature, but you have to think about it and say, okay, well, what, what are we trying to accomplish here? How do we expect this to fail? So you sort of have the materials part, and then you also have the design sort of final product. And, Usually if you can you know, partner with someone like, like Element that has a lot of experience, if you take a look at that part and understand what's, what is it intending to do, what problems are we having, 
you can design a lot of custom protocols that will go and get that data for you in order to support that claim that you are or are not making. For sure. And it's a, it's a cost thing as well, because there's so much of the, so much in the additive manufacturing industry is not static, right? Even like take a single metal polymer or metal powder-based system, right? Like if you can do a couple of builds today, send the tensile bars or density cubes to you guys get tested. You do that six months or 12 months from now, like, and, or change something up, laser scrap scan strategies or something like that, the, tenth, the, the test results might be different. And so having that dialogue between, okay, what's the intent? Are you trying to certify a single machine or a single part, right. a system or a fleet of machines? Like the test protocols look much different uh, depending what, on what you're doing. Well, what's interesting about that as well is I mean, I think that, you know, there's, there's inherent part variability. You're going to get that in traditionally manufactured materials, let alone all as well as, as an additive. And, and we see it in the test results where, you know, the, the numbers might be a little bit more scattered. Um, you know, it depends on whether you're testing sort of a as printed part versus a fully finished part. Um, and are you, are you, you know, if you're printing a tensile bar, 3D printing a tensile bar and expecting it to stick it on the frame and run it versus printing a block and machining it out, that, that's different, right? And, and, and I think that, you know, we've seen tensile bars that are, you know, supposed to be straight and then they look like this as they're coming off sort of that, or you put them on the table and they're rolling and loping. And, you know, so, so I think that there are um, a lot of questions around sort of part to part uh, considerations, especially if you're doing it over time. And so the question is, well, how much, how much analysis, how much evaluation do you do for you know, your qualification for that particular printer or you know, whatever you're trying to accomplish to really try to try to understand it um, because there, there are differences for sure. Yeah, especially, and I mean, it's a time thing too, right? There's time to test it, like to time to make the parts and post-finish and, and all of that once you start kind of backing out, okay, I need to bring something to market or go through this gate and certification by this amount of time. And all of a sudden your DOE says you need to make 12 builds like that could be a, a few months of time just to to get all that together and so uh, i imagine like that partnership certainly with companies that aren't as skilled on the material science side like probably benefit from what you guys see on a day-to-day basis right and like, you see a lot of different machines and different products and, and so that context probably helps helps a lot in those conversations it, it does. And I guess two, like two, two key thoughts come to mind. One is we've talked about just different companies and different cultures. And, you know, if, if you're asking that, what is the bare minimum sort of question versus I've heard statements like, you know, well, we are, we are just going to add a safety, uh, a factor of safety to our design. And we're just going to additively printing, print it using the basic parameters. So that's fine. You can get to a product. And if that's the approach you want to take, you know, you would do that. But then we have other customers that are you know, really interested in optimizing every printing parameters, whether it's the laser power settings or the scan speeds or the flow of oxygen, you know, whatever it is uh, for flow, flow of gas. Um, uh, and, and you can, if your process isn't robust enough to control that data and that variability, you can get confused very easily. And then it's, and you have a lot of data and no ability to backtrack it. So I'm still surprised when you know, we, we get batches of parts, there's hundreds of parts and there's things that are mislabeled or things that aren't traceable back to the build plate location. 
you know, or the labeling methodology is, is, is poor. Um, so now, now you have these parts that we can go ahead and test and we try to flag this as much as we can. Uh, but you're, you're, you're trying to tweak too much, right? And so you kind of have this bare minimum approach. You have this, let's just tweak everything and keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And, you know, it's important to kind of stop and ask that question and make sure that you are organized and you have that traceability um, uh, through your, through down to your test results and how do you factor that back in and make good decisions as opposed to just tweaking and tweaking and tweaking. Because inevitably what will happen if you're doing that is, you know, we will like in the medical space, we will run these spine cages. So typically they have, you know, they're, they're, they're small, they're an inch by half an inch by half an inch or whatever. And, you know, you will, you will have this cool matrix, you'll run through the tests and it's supposed to get to 5 million cycles without failure. And you're supposed to duplicate that effort. Well, you get one that runs out, one that at 4 million looked fine and at 5 million, now you've got a crack. And that's a problem because you have to, you know, you're, you're not supposed to have any cracks. So where did that separation come from? It happened at the very end, which you typically don't see. Is it a test artifact? Is it your material? Is it your processing? You start asking questions and it's always, you know, oh, it's always the test lens fault. It's like, well, we, we went and changed all these different parameters and you're tweaking on the fly and sending stuff. And it's so, so, you know, I would say it's, it's important to stay organized and be careful what you're tweaking and when and trying to characterize it. And then, you know, maybe as you're doing that, there's differences in that build plate location. So understanding where you're taking it and again, having that process where you can track what you're doing and how you're doing it. So you just don't get ahead of yourself thinking, you know what you're doing. I'll just tweak, tweak, tweak. And you really don't know the impact of what it's going to have. For sure. If only there were a software tool that helped with that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know of any? Um, so kind of a related question, I, I guess, is we, we mentioned fatigue and, and Tencel, but one of the other challenges that, that I see many kind of end users, certainly, and, and even OEMs who are kind of developing new technology is like, what body of testing should I do or like for the like the end user there may be like things on the data sheet that aren't relevant right like it could be um or that just aren't there a lot of times fatigue is not something that's generally kind of given on a lot of data like general data sheets for for end users or chemical resistance or like uh, even other more specific tests like biocompatibility like it's that's a narrow definition especially on a, a data sheet from an equipment manufacturer. So it's um, it, w- certainly one of those things that, that I get a lot of questions about from, from people's like, Hey, have you seen testing on, I can't parameter X that like isn't on the data sheet. And so how much of your kind of day-to-day work is like doing some of that exploration for companies that like, Hey, I just need to know like conventional or conventionally manufactured pro- products need to, um, pass this UV test or a paint chip test or something like that. Um, but you're never going to see that on a data sheet. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it always depends on what the customer is trying to accomplish and understanding how does this data sheet align to the real world application. Mm-hmm. Right? So the question I ask often is, okay, so what, what are you trying to prove and how is this going to fail? So, you know, things fail in fatigue all the time and you, you know, particularly an additive understanding fatigue strength is, is critical to, to any application. And I think like in, in, in the medical space, and I'll compare medical and aero a little bit, you know, in, in aerospace, it is, 
you know, I've got, I just bought a new printer. I'm going to run full, you know, full build volume, test after test after test, tensils, fatigue. I want to know everything about that particular printer before I even get into my qualifications. Um, and then you get into the medical space and it's like, ah, eh, let's, let, let's run a tensile, right? And, and hopefully that'll be enough. We can get away with it because that's our coupon test. And again, I'm not saying that, you know, you, you have to um, uh, have that same approach in the medical space. Um, but, but, but I think it's just interesting because you, you look at the risks, right? For both of those, you look at kind of the end use and you're looking at service life. You don't want an airplane to fall out of the sky, right? You really want to understand your materials properties because you're pushing that margin of design. You want to be used as little material as possible and you want to be as strong as possible, right? Whereas something like med device, I mean, you're, you're most of the time your uh, implants are going in there, they're fusing into the body to you know, fix a broken bone or something like that. And in four, six, eight, 12 weeks, you might have fusion and then you either take it out or you leave it in there and then it, it doesn't really do anything. Um, and, and so there's questions around, okay, well, what is your end use? How long do you need it to last for? Do we need it to last for 30 years? No. Do you need to last it for 12 weeks? Probably. So how many times are you going to move your arm? How many steps are you going to take? You know, or an airplane, how many times are you going to, to take off and land? And so when it comes to those kinds of questions, you know, it's always, you know, take a look at what your certs say from the material that you're getting or you're generating, but how does that apply to, to the risks that you have within kind of the end use of what you're doing? And different industries just handle it different, differently. I always say that medical is, you know, 30 years behind aerospace. And a part of that is because you talk to the aero guys and they are innovating and creating new alloys left and right all over the place and characterizing new materials and qualifying new vendors. Right In medical, where we've got titanium, maybe some stainless, maybe some cobalt chrome, TI-64 hasn't changed, right? And, and so this understanding is, oh, well, it's, it's biocompatible. This is what everyone uses. This is what we're going to use. And we really don't need to understand the, the, the true fatigue performance of this. And then anytime you start adding, you know, you add additive to it, and now you're kind of creating, you've got this powder, you're creating this new material, and, and you've got all these other variabilities. And I think it's, you know, on one hand, you should know more about the fatigue strength, for example, and understand how you can really push the envelope of that material and align to the stiffness of what you would use in the body, for example, um, you know, versus just saying, eh, it's titanium. Sure. And within kind of your organization, your colleagues and kind of in the testing services piece, I mean, additive isn't, it's not, it wasn't born yesterday, but it's certainly not an old established technology. And there are likely differences in terms of how things fail or the types of parts you might see to test. Has that, has there been any kind of internal cultural learnings or appreciation for the type of technology or the type of parts you get from 3D printing technology or any patterns that you're noticing um, more with the the printed parts than you would with conventionally manufactured components. Are there any kind of, I guess, uh, interesting kind of trends or things that have you seen over your time? Yeah, that's a good question. I, it's hard to pull trends out when you look at a lot of the different, I guess, business segments. I think one of the things that we were being asked for more and more is, you know, especially with maybe a more mature company or, or companies that have been doing this for, for some time, 
you start building up that database, right? And you know, you understand your trends, you understand how your parts perform, you understand how your parts kind of uh, come off the off the build plate. And I think I think there's some maybe clear shifts to more of, uh, and I'm not a stats guy, but towards you know statistical process uh, process control and saying, okay, you know, we've run X amount of tests with a high degree of certainty. We can say, you know, these are sort of the thresholds that we're looking for, and then you know, take a look at, you know, the, the, the data behind that, and then either start backing off or, you know, kind of create our, these are our trigger limits for when something is going, going wrong. So I, I think I, I would say across the industries, we've seen maybe some questions around that. Um, and, and, and how do we sort of, uh, can, can element support something like that? Uh, and the answer is yes. And it depends on what each customer is looking for. Um, so that's maybe one of the things that stands out when you think about if there's anything else. So would that kind of align as well to the, um, like, because you're building things layer upon layer, right? And say there's a bad layer in this and you pull the tensile bar and like, it breaks right at that layer. Like, how do you, are you able to connect some of that information or insight or do you, is most of the information you see kind of in a vacuum? You see, okay, it failed. This one was lower. Yeah, and I don't and exactly I made, know why. Or I made this point a little bit earlier, but but it's hard because it, it differs from customer to customer. Right. You you can make an observation, but you don't necessarily know what they did on the other side yep. to cause that. Right. So maybe they had a heat treating issue, right? Or maybe they had a hip, you know, hipping issue, whatever it is. Um, maybe they changed something, and so you you know typically like within the medical space some of those observations probably come back in terms of sort of FDA feedback or response. So you go and you kind of submit on the product side and then all of a sudden you see a question pop up and then you see another question, another question, you start seeing some of those trends um, because they're either seeing clinical failures or they've identified something different. And so once you start getting two or three kind of responses back against questions, then you, you pivot and say, okay, well, uh, we're seeing feedback come like this. Therefore, you know, to the customer, don't do this or let's take a look at this or something like that. So I'd say we we see it maybe from the opposite end coming back. Um, and then uh, it, it's also hard because uh, customers have different requirements internally. So, you know, this aerospace prime and this medical prime are just going to have different schools of thoughts and things that they're doing. So we, we, we try to stay ahead of it as much as we can. I think that's why it's helpful to, kind of take a step back into the standards and try to take a look at what's going on, apply those thinking patterns to it and try to sort of standardize that approach. But customers are going to do what customers are going to do. <laughs> and what makes, in kind of your opinion, a successful customer engagement in, in these types of, kind of additive manufacturing testing endeavors or projects? Sure. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, I think it starts with communication and, and being able to say, look, here is, you know, what is it that you need? Do you just need a, a turnkey service where you don't really want to engage and you you just need the results because you know what you're doing? Um, or or if you don't, here is, you know, how, how can we work together? Um, you know, so we've, we've been able to implement different models where, you know, obviously a lot of our testing is fee for service. So you need, you need, you need, a, uh, you need a tensile bar, you sense tensile bar, we test them, that's it. But what we found successful was we've had customers um, we've had conversations with customers and they're saying, well, we're really looking to accelerate our R and D. Um, you know, what kind of models can we implement in order to, uh, 
to kind of help accelerate that, to cut those lead times down. Can we get priority? Can we get dedicated capacity? Um, can you come in and run our lab for us? Can you build a lab on site for us? All things that Element has experience with. Um, you know, and, and I would say it comes back down to asking the question and the willingness of the customers to tell us what their needs are and what's important. Some customers, all they care about is lead time. They want that thing done as, as soon as possible, as fast as possible, right? And they're saying the spec says five hertz, 10 million cycles. And they're like, can we run it faster? Can we run it faster? Can we run it faster? No, well, you can, but then you're going to have to answer some questions. Um, you know, and, and other customers really want to take their time and understand, you know, this is what we're looking for. Here's what we're trying to figure out. So I, I think upfront communicating and asking, uh, asking questions around what is it that you need and what's, how can we align to the culture that's sort of at, at your company? I think that, I think making time to ask some questions really transforms how the project can go. And who is the typical kind of uh, contact or like person that you'd be engaging with? Is it a test engineer? Is it a mechanical engineer? Is it a program manager? Kind of who, who usually engages in these conversations? Yeah, so I would say it, it depends on where you are in the process. So a lot of our work is R&D support. So we're working mainly with the, with the R&D folks. Um, and oftentimes, um, you know, we, we kind of build up relationships between our project managers and their R&D folks. And over time, you get to know the customer and how they function, what they like, what they don't like. Um, we also do a lot of work with quality engineers and the folks on the quality side, especially if you're looking at, you know, process validation or production validation. Um, then it's usually the quality or the, or the manufacturing folks. And then over the last uh, 12 months, maybe, especially as COVID has hit, you know, obviously sort of revenues take a hit across um, the, the, all, the, all of the industries and it's, it's really starting to come back. But we've seen a lot more involvement with procurement groups that are you know, being hired in or, or brought internal and they're asking the question, well, how do we, you know, right now, if you go and you want to perform this test versus this test versus this test, you've got 10 different vendors. Well, there's some, there's some uh, cost efficiencies if you can consolidate under a single vendor, like Element, for example. Um, we can leverage some size, some geographic footprint, some risk mitigation, some overall experience. And so we've, I'd say over the last 12 months, we've definitely seen a lot more engagement from procurement. And ultimately, engineering and quality has sort of the, the final say, um, but, but we're starting to see a lot more um, involvement from them. That's interesting. Um, so does that make it challenging in terms of discussing like the benefits of certain tests or certain capabilities with folks that may not be experienced with uh, tensile testing or fatigue testing? It, it does, right? Because I mean, if you, if you, if you test a cobalt chrome, you know, that requires low stress grind tensile test versus a titanium or something else, it takes more time. So there can be, you know, price differences between things like that. And so the procurement groups aren't necessarily technical. They're asking questions around, well, we need an apples to apples comparison so we can competitively bid this and so forth. Um, and that can, that can be a bit of extra work. And it's again, not, not things that we're not willing to participate in, but, you know, and, and it just depends if, if they're really looking just to save costs, that's one thing, but if they see value, I had a conversation, uh, another conversation earlier today with a, with a procurement group that uh, really enjoys working with our team and they, they see opportunity um, they see opportunity to sort of expand, um, uh, expand with Element. Element's able to grow and scale alongside of them. They've got some really big projects coming up. So they're asking questions like, you know, how do we, 
how can we set this up so that we've got a defined three-year relationship and what commitments can we get in order to make sure that we have the capacity when we need it. And so when you have, you know, when you have someone like that internally, um, even though they're not technical, that can actually accelerate some of the, some of the discussions because you, you kind of skip over the, maybe the local R and D or quality hurdles and you jump right into, you know, let's, let's talk a big picture, long-term strategic relationship. Right. And I like to always ask the guests I have on to, to help educate other people who are thinking about different careers related to added manufacturing and the 3D printing industry. Like, what does your average day look like in terms of working at Element and, and even representative pre or post COVID, whatever it may be? But kind of, yeah. can you speak to a little bit about that? Sure, sure. So I'm, I'm an engineer at art. So I, I, like, I like to problem solve. I'd say most of my job on a day-to-day basis is some form of problem solving. So, um, you know, in, in my current role, um, I have a technical responsibility. Um, after we finish up here, I've got to go write some um, summaries for uh, to go to to FDA for regulatory purposes, um, based on some testing that was done in my my expertise. Um, you know, earlier today I was working on um, a variety of marketing content um, to to try to support and provide some information education to some things that we think are important. A lot of emails, it's always emails, right? <laughs> um, and, and, you know, and then it just depends on sort of the, the customers that have um, questions that particular day and, um, you know, trying to, for, for me, it's a lot of fun being in the testing part because it's something that that's sort of tactile and physical and you can, you can, you know, work on and, um, most of the time, you know, our longest projects run a couple of months, you know, typically maybe, maybe six months max for a long running test. And a lot of them are less than, you know, 30 days or so. So it's kind of high turnover and you get to learn a lot. You get to see a lot of different things. Um, you know, I'll get an email from an inquiry that wants to know, can, have you ever seen or done or anything like this? And then we'll have, you know, let's design the regulatory strategy for, uh, submitting this type of, uh, this type of implant, um, and you get to be at the forefront of sort of what technology is out there and you get a lot of questions. And then, especially if you can leverage that and take it back to the standards committees and drive sort of those changes and discussions, um, that, that just, that just makes it a lot of fun. So, um, my favorite part is learning about the customers and the technology that they have for sure. Um, there's a lot of unique things that are out there. Um, and then trying to figure out how can we partner with them in order to, to, uh, to take what, you know, what we do and provide a solution, not just for that one piece, but sort of a long-term R&D partnership. Right. And it sounds like too, like foreign people may stereotype engineers as, as folks that don't write or communicate, but it sounds like your main job is kind of communicate or one of your main jobs is communicating results, talking to regulatory boards and writing up kind of items and documents for specific audiences for specific purposes. If you don't communicate it correctly, like there could be a question, it could cause delays, it could be ambiguity. And, and, and so that's probably a really key, key piece of your, your work. It is. And I would say to engineers or just that are, that are exploring some of these fields. I mean, those, I'd say those are some of the, uh, everyone's excited to go in there and problem solve and design, right. Design, design, design. Um, but then you start looking at, well, how do you communicate that design to your manufacturing? How do you communicate with quality? How do you communicate with your external vendors? And I think that 
sort of that that communication piece uh, and, and that transfers into the writing piece as well, right? Because you've got procedures, you've got requirements, you've got certs, you've got all kinds of other stuff. Um, it, it takes some some time to develop those things. And I would say even like, even even opportunities like this to be able to share some of my experience. And again, I appreciate you having me and chatting here. Um, but you kind of got to stick yourself out there and say, you know what, let's, let's take a look at what I've been doing, what's working, what's not working. Uh, as you take that step back, then you, then you have something to go on, have something to go and talk about, which, uh, which I think makes it interesting. Absolutely. And so kind of in the coming months, what are you excited about? What are uh, a mugs coming up? You guys are yeah. actually at the booth right next to me in in Orlando. So I'll, I'll, I'll see you down there, but kind of what, are there anything, uh, exciting coming up or any um, kind of educational pieces that people should check out on uh, related element or some of the testing that you guys are doing? Yeah. So um, in www.element.com, you can find a lot of information there. If you go slash medical devices, you'll see the work that we're doing there. Um, I'm excited to go to AMUG. It's been a long time since I've been at a trade show or event in person. So I think it'll just be good to kind of get into that loop. Um, and I'm excited to see how the fall opens up with, uh, with, with travel and some of the, you know, vaccine rollout and things like that. So that's exciting. I'd say maybe from my capabilities perspective, sort of two newer, exciting things uh, have come to us to come to element through acquisition. One is learning a lot more about uh, the regulatory space and the regulatory consulting. That's something that we're going to be able to, to offer. Um, and historically we've, we've sort of stayed out of that space, but that's, that's something that's, a lot, that's really exciting. We get a lot of questions for for support, um, maybe a more formal matter interaction with FDA, and and that's something that's relatively new for us. Um, and then I think the other part is again coming to us through acquisition is around extractables and leachables and chemical characterization. So within the biocompatibility piece, we had mentioned that earlier. You know, you have sort of the animal testing uh, components, but then you also have this this big push, particularly with uh, EU MDR out of out of uh, out of Europe. Um, around chemical characterization testing. So that's, those are two kind of big uh, bolt-ons that we have as part of our capabilities. That's something that I'm really excited about to, to see how that can grow and continue to provide value for our customers. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for the conversation today and uh, we'll talk to you in person soon. Great, Mike. Thanks a lot. Great.